0: Welcome back to the Anxiety Slayer podcast. I'm Shan VanderLeek, and today I'm sharing a conversation with personal trainer, author, and thought leader, Sam Morris. Sam is on a mission to help 1 billion humans save themselves, get out of suffering, and walk through their fires. He helps men feel safe to heal from the things that scare them to talk about. And Sam has been in recovery for eight years. Welcome to the Anxiety Slayer Podcast.
1: Thank you very much. It's awesome to be here.
0: I was really grateful that you reached out and was about you and love that that you played tennis at at a high level for most Uh of your life and, and that from the sports that you've been involved in and at that high level that you developed a real passion for training and fitness that went along with it that eventually evolved into personal training and then later amping your presence by creating the unbreakable human collective. How cool is that?
1: Yeah, it's been quite a ride. I'll tell you that, Um, you know, getting sober cleared away so much stuff um, for me that it just really, when I got sober, I had kind of always wanted, like had personal training and basically, you know, fitness on my radar, but I got sober and I moved to San Francisco and basically it fell into my lap. I can, I can honestly say from that day forward, it's hard to say I feel like I work because I love just working with people so much. And the evolution has been, you know, it started off as personal training and personal training and fitness and nutrition is still a huge part of what I do. Sure, It's just now moved into like holistic lifestyle coaching. right? And it's just the evolution of it has just been amazing.
0: A much bigger presence. And it sounds like you're in your zone of genius if it doesn't Uh, work.
1: Yeah, exactly. I love that term.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, well done on your recovery. And thank you again, a big gratitude for coming on Anxiety Slayer. I'd like to begin the conversation asking you how being in recovery from addiction and overcoming severe anxiety and depression led you to specialize in helping other men slay their mental dragons.
1: You know, it, it really was that I just trial and error for so long with me. I mean, from a young age, yeah, I had, I was really sick as a kid with asthma and food allergies. So I felt a lot different than all my peers. And, and to be honest, my peers made me feel a lot different too. And so that created in me this immense anxiety, especially social anxiety, but really just like inferiority complex and insecurities and I'm broken and I'm different and I'm a burden. All these stories were ruminating around my head. And so it created this anxiety in me that I was for so long, just unable to get to the bottom of because when it's that when it's that painful and that that conversation is that real, the tendency is to just treat the symptoms and get far enough away from the pain that you're good enough, and good enough is not good enough because what you have to do is you have to go back and un- get those roots out, the underlying stuff. So, solidly from the age of 33 to 38, I was re- I was trying to get to the roots and just unable to. So I went, I would go through these three year, five year cycles of anxiety, depression, and we get really bad and I don't come out of it. And so finally, when I turned, um, not even when I first got sober, but later, like about four years into my sobriety, uh, I was going through a heartbreak. And it was a, a friend of mine said to me, he said, Sam, he's like, you, you keep saying that you always end up here. This always happens to you. Stop looking at it like that and start looking at the, the place inside of you that keeps allowing this to happen. And that, that was a friend. What a good yeah, friend. I know. I know. Really, really solid guy. <laughs> so, oh, I mean, man. deep in heartbreak, you're like, oh, gut punch. But at the same time, I was like, oh. you know, it was, it was a lot of relief because I was like, okay, it was almost like I got he gave me permission to go inward and look at, like, the real root of this.
0: Sure. And it also and, sounds like you were kind of propelling a self-fulfilling uh, prophecy. 100%. I'd love for you to dive a little deeper and and share your experience at that time where you were kind of hoping that other people would save you and, or the world would save you and how all of this gelled into the awareness that, that you needed to save yourself.
1: That was something, the, the hoping that I would be saved was something that was really, really deep rooted in me and actually really real for me growing up. Cause when, you know, as a kid, when you're basically until you can, Drive or until you can, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old. If I had an asthma attack at two in the morning, or if I ate a peanut at a dinner party, you know, I actually did need saving, and so that was a direct life-threatening experience. And someone, my mom, my dad, my sisters, a friend's mom would come and save me. And so I learned that, like, that was how I was saved by other people doing that. And on the other side of that too is that I thought saving meant loving. So I would subconsciously create detrimental, chaotic events in my life to be saved. It was what, I, not how I learned, but it was what I decided love meant. Sure. And so, you know, I would always just hope like, hope, like with sobriety, for example, it was 15 years of struggle. You know, the last five was in and out of rehabs. I would hope this time would be different. I would sure. hope that this girlfriend would fix me. I would hope that job would, would provide me with this relief. And I got the girlfriends and I got the jobs and I got, and I went to the rehab and nothing ever worked because I was always just hoping that someone else would save me. And so finally, when I was 38 years old, you know, I I was sitting there at my kitchen table. It was four in the morning. And I just like all the previous 15 years, just all of a sudden showed up on my doorstep and was, and they basically said to me, Sam, you can't do this anymore. You cannot go on like this. And from that moment on, I just decided I have to do whatever it takes to never return to this place. And that was the first time in my life when I can say, like, I actually chose to save myself. And really, it was the first time in my life when I actually said, I love myself. I love myself enough to do this.
0: Yeah, right on. Right Mm -hmm. on. And we can't afford, and you say this, we can't afford to use hope, hoping that something will change as a strategy anymore.
1: No, we can't, we can't, you know, hoping is a settling, low energy, low vibrational uh, place to be because when you hope, hoping does serve a purpose, you know, hoping's that trigger, it, it triggers you into action. And it's funny because hope and worry are actually the exact same thing when you look at it, when you break it down, because worry, if it does its job, if you worry about something and then you go do something about it, worry did its job. And thank you very much. See you yeah. next time. Hope sure. is the same way. But hope gets romanticized in, in movies. where right? hope floats, you know. They don't make m- movies about worry floating, right? Because worry gets vilified. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're a worrywart. So, uh, yeah. Um, but when you look at it, they people get caught in worry because worry is actually really comfortable because it, it tricks your biology and your energy into thinking that you're doing something about what you're worrying about. But really, you're not. And right. hope is a lot the same way because hope. It feels good, and it it will pull you out of a dark place. It pulled me out of a dark place, but that was the end of the the useful life, the the shelf life of hope. Is that it pulls you out of that dark place, and now it's on you to do to action, to believe in yourself, to love yourself enough to take action. And so people get caught in that. Everyone says like, "Oh, I'm a hope dealer." You know, again, they they romanticize hope and make it this puppies and rainbows thing. But if you get stuck in hoping, you're not doing anything about the problem because you're just all you're doing is hoping. Right. You know, hope, hope needs to be followed by action.
0: Right on. Yeah, The my whole world is around awareness, action, transformation.
1: Awesome. Awareness, Love that.
0: action, transformation. Yeah, just that's... over and over and over because, uh-huh. because it, with, without that, you, if you have the awareness and you just kind of roll around in that and don't take action, you suffer, 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 suffer. So yes. much. And uh-huh. the, the worry piece is huge for so many of our listeners and, and for uh, my mother's a, a big worrier. And I have been working with her for years to help her let that go and to remind her, how, how is that serving you?
1: Uh-huh.
0: You, you are in the, the final chapter of your life and you're going to waste it worrying about things you can't control anyway. Wait a minute what about all of this uh, faith and what about the church and what about all these things that you've chosen to be a good human that have you in guilt and shame and worry?
1: Mm.
0: And, and watching that is is tough, but also seeing her bust herself and, you know, catch herself and, yeah. and try to switch things up is cool because that's been ingrained in her, her whole life. And I've noticed that a lot of women and, and probably men too, uh, in that age group, that's where they go, they worry,
1: yep I'm yeah, so, I think glad. That, I'm so
0: hey, glad we're talking about this.
1: me too. I love this topic. I think that that, that you know a lot of that comes from worry might have been the only option that that, in that generation, that generation, like because it's a lot of like don't talk about your feelings, it's a lot of man, right. up. it's a suck lot of especially yeah. out, suck it up, throw some dirt on it. Um, and so like when you hear that over and over, you know basically worrying is there is value in that, you know, get, do the work kind of, yeah, that, of that But there's also, if you get told enough as a child, as a kid growing up, like, no, your feelings aren't valid. You know, you have nothing left to do but worry. Right. Which right is very on. unfortunate.
0: Yeah, it, it really is. So we, I'm grateful to help her through that work and, and, and anybody who's in that space. And, and when you become a parent or when you have a, a significant other that, that you love so much or you know, wherever your relationships look like, of course, there's going to be some worry involved in that it, on, a, on occasion, that's part of being human. But uh-huh. when we stay there is when we get ourselves into trouble. And this is this is where we really need to segue into learning how to free ourselves from the stories that we tell ourselves and free ourselves from the conditioning that keep us stuck, that keep us in pain, that keep us in those places, and understand that there is a new opening if you want to take it. There, it mm-hmm. It's there, and there are people like you and people like me, who are willing to walk alongside of you to help you figure it out.
1: Absolutely, you know, because it's again, this it goes back to like the, our stories is you know they're ego based, and the ego wants to be right, yeah. and so when you can look at the stories objectively and it's like my story for example was save me that was my like that was it I need to be saved if I'm going to survive I need to be saved and you know eventually it came to the point where my buddy was like well how's that working out for you basically is what he said when he when he told me that and I and just like yeah so I had to get into the root of where did this story come from and why is it there and really you know it comes down to it was for me it was a misunderstanding and I know that that sounds a little bit like taking the 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 onus off of it but when you can look at it as like as that child i did need saving that's great but like since then it's on me to to save myself and then and, and learning learning the process to do that was honoring that child honoring that story looking at you know shadow work and parts work it's honoring that stuff not avoiding it or vilifying it whatever it is it's saying like, okay, that's a part of me and that was real for me, but what's real now? What, yeah. What's present? What's going to serve me going forward? And a lot of that comes from, you know, there's, there's all kinds of modalities that you can use to, to overcome that stuff. And it's really like when some, and people get, I wouldn't say they get stuck in one thing, but to be open to the things that you don't know that you need to know is the most powerful place to be. Oh, Yeah. Um, just because we, you know, with that with stories like that's what you know, and people love to operate in those comfortable little cycles. You know, some people call it the comfort zone. These comfortable little cycles of like, well, I know this. Let me work on this. Well, I know about this. Let me work on this. Which there's value to that, but that's that's the first and second layer. When you handle the stuff that you know, you clear away those first few layers of the onion. The next really evolution comes from. When, you be open, when you're open to saying, well, okay, I've handled everything I know, but I still feel blocked, or I still feel stuck in my story, or I still, I'm still self-sabotaging, I'm still stuck in anxiety all the time. Okay, so there's something that you are not aware of that you need to get to the bottom of that, whether that's breath work, whether that's hypnosis, whatever it may be. Whatever you need to do to get to that point where you're aware again, I mean, back to what you said, aware, that's the real value.
0: Right. It really is, and and also to understand that there is going to be some discomfort involved during that transformational process. It's part of the process. We're we're not we're not meant to be just kind of floating around in our comfort zone. That's not what we're here for. We need to be able to bust out of that and experience more in our lives, and not make them smaller, but make them greater. And so sometimes in that expansion. There's some discomfort, but that will pass as you dig in, as you do the work, as you learn more, as you practice, Uh whatever it may be, to getting out of worry, getting out of shame and guilt. The place that I used to go to years ago was guilt and shame, Uh guilt and shame, because when Uh I was a young one, I was reckless as hell. And I realized now as an adult that I was trying to get somebody to pay attention to what I was doing (laughs) and they didn't seem to notice. Uh And so I thought maybe I could just keep amping that up. And and then one day you start to have this knowledge of this memory of these choices that you made both, both conscious and unconscious and you start to perhaps feel very low about that. And, uh. and so I remember just going, chewing it and chewing it and chewing it. And then I also remember the day where I was able to let it go and realize that all of those choices and all of everything that, that led me to who I am today matters, is valuable, and I am who I am and will continue to expand and grow and become a better human And a big part of that is from, from those places that were so uncomfortable.
1: Uh Yeah. I mean, it's like the, the pain is unavoidable, no matter what you do, whether you try, if you try to avoid the pain, you're going to end up being in more pain. Um, And that's like where like, I I made I did something on Instagram the other day about like choosing safety is not that safe. Because when you choose that, when you choose to like, try to avoid all that pain and, and think you, you're in control and hands on the wheel, you're, you're, you're very rigid. And really what, what, what freedom comes from is being flexible and being willing to look at that pain, being willing to sit in the pain. Because this, the sooner you sit in the pain, the sooner that you're going to you talked about expansion, the sooner you contract and sit in the pain, the sooner that you'll be able to expand and enjoy the stuff on the other side of the pain.
0: Tell us more about the Unbreakable Human Collective and your mission to help one billion
1: humans. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the the Unbreakable Human Collective, you know, it kind of came, it was kind of birthed back in the beginning of the quarantine when, you know, I kind of just realized pretty quickly that like we are a collective, you know, the the human race is a collective of people. And You know, there's there's as the collective, we all need to look at ourselves to to raise the vibration of the collective. And so, when if I can impact one billion humans, and by by the process there is that, um, you know, I do men's work, so um, I coach a lot of men, and I do corporate culture consulting, and so that's that's a big reach right there. But um, the unbreakable human collective, if I can help men. Let us say it's a 40-year-old a husband father of three. That means right there, I'm impacting five people. The husband, the wife, and the three kids. And then from there, you know, they say that if you impact if you if you do the healing work and find out what's what's going on and, and where you need to heal and look at your traumas and your stories and, and why things are happening for you, you can heal up to seven generations in front of you and seven generations behind you. To be able to have the ripple effect by helping these men overcome these things, to be better husbands, better fathers, brothers, sons, employees, coworkers, owners, founders, whatever it may be, um, the radiation effect of that is is going to be my one billion human impact through oh, the Unbreakable yeah. Human Collective.
0: Oh, yeah. and And healing the divine masculine is such a mm. big part of what needs to be done. And I love... That you're talking about healing forward and back seven generations. That's a big part yeah. of my work as well, is yeah. understanding that and doing the work that we do through the different gateways in our lives and with witnesses and every person who chooses to do their work really does impact an entire community. Uh-huh. It's just astounding. And, <laughs> and how exciting to know that, to really understand that, oh man, really? Not only am I going to. Be in a better place, but the people that I love are going to be in a better place.
1: When I realized that it wasn't, you know, this is a shift from a victim mentality to, you know, a saving yourself mentality. Is that, you know, for a while I was a victim of why is all this happening to me? And this is the external locus of control. And this is, this is save me. When you can shift into that and 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 kind of look at it as like, no, you're the warrior. You're not the victim. You're the warrior. Stand strong in your warrior archetype. And be the warrior that your family needs. So the guys I work with, I say, be a warrior but don't be at war. Yeah. Because when you when you can stand in that power.
0: You just totally made me think of a of some work that I was doing many years ago when I was going through an initiation and and my my teacher at the time said, You can stand down. Uh, you can put down your sword and shield. You uh, you you can. Because my inner child was Absolutely. I, I think I was an adult by three years old. And, and to learn to just exhale and put it down, to still be in that strength, be in that power, but just set it down, to not so, be at war, to be the warrior, not at war. I love that. Thank uh-huh. you.
1: You're welcome. There's a lot of power and strength in surrendering that fight.
0: Oh, there sure is.
1: What I launched this year was called the Conscious Warrior Brotherhood. So cool. it's, a, it's a community that I'm building of men. We get together every week and we talk and we just basically it's what I've learned about my purpose is that I'm here to hold space for men to heal from all the shit they don't want to look at and talk about that society doesn't let them talk about and feel and see. So I've created this container where these guys can come and basically if it's something that bothered them when they were five years old that they've held in for 40 years, come to me and let's feel let's heal that.
0: Yeah. Before we move on, is there Anything else you'd like to leave us with?
1: Um, I would just like to say, first of all, thank you so much. This conversation was amazing. And um, I love that you're, you're doing the work and helping these people and your mom, especially find this, you know, heal these generations, because I think it's something we need so, so much. And I think one thing that uh, another thing beyond the, the warrior statement is that, you know, people like, don't be afraid to be a beginner. Mm. Don't be afraid to step back and say, I don't know. Because in that, when you say, I don't know, you open yourself up to happiness, freedom, connection, intimacy.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. That was Sam Morris. You can learn more about Sam and all of his offerings, including the Unbreakable Human Collective at samgibbsmorris.com.